Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled if you've got a pulse, this podcast is for you. If you are hungry for more, if you're fed up with what the world has to offer, man, Jesus has more for you. There is always more. We have been called to communion in Christ. We have been given the mission of bringing people to Jesus and bringing revival to the church. So our title, New Manna, comes from John 6, 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Come on. Jesus is the new manna, the bread of life, and he gives himself totally to us in the Holy Eucharist. So each episode of New Manna will consist of two things, Eucharistic testimony from clergy and lay leaders, followed by a conversation about a bite-sized piece of a papal document pertaining to the Eucharist and worship. So today I am joined by Father Anthony Mersman and Father Thomas Maddock. Gentlemen, thank you for being here. You bet. Thanks, Lee. Woo! Come on. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself, your state in life, your parish assignment. Fill in the blank. Great. Um, my name is Father Thomas Maddock, as you said, Lee. Um, I, I did. You did. <laughs> I am the associate pastor at Christ the King Parish in Topeka, Kansas. The capital the capital. Shout out. Top city. T-Town. Yes. And I'm also the chaplain at Hayden Catholic High School. Go Wildcats. Go Wildcats. There it is. That's right. So yeah, I, I grew up in Overland Park, Kansas. My cool. home parish is Holy Spirit and uh, attended St. James Academy for high school and then entered the seminary right out of high school. Went to Conception Seminary College for four years and then attended St. John Vianney Seminary in Denver to finish my time in seminary. Nice. Was ordained a priest in... 2021 so i've been a priest for a year and a half baby priest so, baby priest well yeah not grow, quite yeah, yeah yeah whatever getting into the toddler priest but yeah. okay okay cool cool yeah, yeah i would say cool. you know love but, it toddler priest yeah love it my turn already your turn <laughs> that was it that's all i had okay all right i'm father anthony mersman i'm the associate pastor slash parochial vicar at good shepherd catholic church in shawnee and chaplain at bishop miege high school go stags, go stags right that's right uh, did you say boo? Maybe. I didn't boo your Wildcats. <laughs> Get out of here. that honor one way. We're supposed to love each other in That's the right. unity of the Eucharist, Ouch. Father Ouch. Thomas Maddock. Um, grew up in Eudora, Kansas, just a stone's throw away from where we are recording here at the St. Lawrence Catholic Campus Center. And I grew up on a farm just south of the town. I'm number eight of nine children. Wow. I have, yeah. Yeah, it's a big deal. Uh, I grew up. I grew up. Uh, well, yeah. My my parents are two of the most incredible people in the world. Uh, just incredible lives of sacrifice to be able to provide for for nine of us, nine healthy, uh, varying levels of of smart mm. um, individuals. But all of us. Uh, yeah, it's just beautiful to see the fruit of their sacrifices, the fruit of their labors, and my brothers and sisters mm. and. Nieces and nephews, I was ordained in 2020, May of Big 2020. Year. Big year, man. So the, yeah. the baby priest thing, Father Thomas, you you can speak to this too, but within the first year of my priesthood, I had I had done every sacrament, including a confirmation. Wow. Like, and I feel like wow. everything a priest is able to do, I did in that first year, and it was just so insane that, 
Yeah, baby priest. People say that, but I was like, dude, after that first year, I was like, you're allowed to say that, but you got hair on your chest now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. For the first time. <laughs> <laughs> What's it? I mean, you both work with high schoolers. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that. For me, I mean, when I jumped in, I mean, I learned how to be a priest at Bishop Miesch and at Holy Cross, which is where I was for the first two years. Seminary does an incredible job forming you, preparing you, um, shaping you, but obviously actually entering into the sacrament of holy orders mm -hmm. is a whole nother thing. And so, yeah, I learned how to be a priest at Miesch and at, uh, at Holy Cross, and all I had to debase it on was my experience in high school. Mm. And I, if I could go back in time, I yeah. would, I'd make a few corrections <laughs> in my high school time. Right. And I kind of went into this, um, just hoping that I could, um, that the students would be able to see me as a human being and like relate and speak and, mm. and just grow in relationship with, uh, and that has definitely happened. But one thing I wasn't, thinking was necessary that's also happened is seeing my high schoolers mm -hmm. as you know way better human beings than I think I was in high school mm -hmm. so it's it's been an uh, an illuminative three years I think like on yeah. both ends praise the lord thank you nice yeah getting back to high school was definitely a transition for me I I only feel like I'm a few years older than the kids when I'm at the high school sometimes and so it's just like how am I going to be a priest? I'm going to minister right. to these kids. Um, and then it's also like dealing with my own, what I feel like is my insecurities and inadequacies and maybe awkwardness too. And it's mm -hmm. like, but then I think about it, I'm like, well, these kids are probably like 10 times more awkward than me. So <laughs> I should just go for it. You know? <laughs> so, so it's taken a little bit to step in back to that role sure. in high school. Um, but I have very much enjoyed it. Building relationships, um, presence has been huge. Yeah. Um, and then for the kids who are willing to, open up, take the next step. Um, yeah. Try to invite them into that for so, sure. Yeah. Dude. High school is like, uh, it's, I think it's awkward. You yeah. know, you gotta yeah. be, I mean, you can't be in high school and not be a little awkward. Yep. Yeah. You're yeah. just starting to figure out who you are as an adult human right. being. And yeah, someone is just starting to figure out who they are. Mm. That's, there's some, there's some awkwardness. Yeah. Some confusion. Yeah. And if you're yep. if you're a parent of a high schooler, just want to give a shout out to you, one for oh, having yes. to, you know, having the privilege of being able to have to deal with your high schooler. <laughs> high school is weird because you are part of this family unit, while at the same time figuring out who you are outside of that family unit. Yes. Yeah. And where where does it get like abrasive? It gets abrasive, you know, between parent and child. Yeah. Like it just it's a natural thing that happens. Um, so again, just shout out to you parents of high schoolers. It's going to be okay. Yes. I'm saying this as a youth, like a former youth minister. These folks are saying it as, as chaplains of high school students, like it's going to be okay. And parents, they love you. Yeah. Everything they do and say might make you think <laughs> the contrary, uh, yeah. but they do. And they'll realize it maybe two, maybe five, maybe 10 years from now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Took me a bit. Yeah. Took me a bit. Yeah. They yeah. just don't know how to say it. Yeah. Well said. Cool. So Jesus is real and he's alive and he's active in the church today. And I, 
it looks like he's been active in your lives a little bit. Hundred you know, percent. Gaging yep. from the the collars around your neck. Anyway, <laughs> um, but take us back to the beginning for you. Uh, what was it like? Uh, was there ever a before Jesus and then an after? Um, what What's your love story with Jesus like? Do you want to go first? Sure. So I grew up cradle Catholic, oldest of five, um, and my family very faithful um, growing up, just looking back at that, attending Sunday Mass, um, my parents involved in parish life, my dad being an usher, my mom singing in the choir. So the parish and parish life was something that I always knew and I liked, I think, to some extent. Um, but, and then went through Catholic grade school as well. Mm. As far as developing um, a personal relationship and falling in love with Jesus, I don't think that actually began until high school for me. Um, so I went to St. James Academy, as I said, and before school, there's the option of going to a daily mass. Um, so here I am freshman year, um, just getting used to high school, just entering into this new realm, um, and making friends. And one of my friends, Doug Lycom, uh, shout was, out Dougie, shout out to Doug Lycom on my baseball team, mm. um, had already fallen in love with the Lord. And that was just evident by the way he lived. Um, and there was just something different and um, a mentality that he lived with um, that was awesome. That's profound. Mm-hmm. He had a direction. And so this Mass Before School, it's optional, um, but Doug would actually go around and just invite people to come to Mass with him before school. Um, and he offered that to me a couple times. Um, and at first, just where I was, I was like, how do you say no to this? Like, I don't want to, you know, just kind of being nice, you know? Um, And so I went. But the Lord really used that invitation and Mm -hmm. he used that friendship to draw me closer to him. Um, And so daily mass actually became kind of a staple of my life, like a foundational thing um, to where in all the busyness, the craziness of high school, there were two years where I played all three sports, um, all three seasons. Um, that I could just have this foundation of mass mm. and being with the Lord, receiving his word, receiving him in the Eucharist. It wasn't as you know profound as it may sound right now um, because you know I was still growing in my faith. It was still a seed. But um, yeah, the Lord used that in a profound way. And I think uh, he used that to help me grow in friendship with others, like authentic charitable friendship too. Mm. Um and to look out for uh, the kids that maybe didn't fit in as well. Mm. Um, and so I, I had an awesome friend group, loved my friends in high school, but then also just looking outside myself, outside of my own desires to fit in and all that, seeing my own awkwardness and then <laughs> inviting people you know, yeah. into that. So I don't know, he, he used it to help me grow in charity is mm. kind of a simple way um, to put that, um, which then I think opened my heart too. A greater vocation yeah um so so you were hitting dingers on the diamond every day absolutely yeah with, yeah with doug <laughs> and well doug was hitting more dingers than me but let's be he, honest he can, but, he can rake yes a beast for sure <laughs> um yeah and and so it went from that relationship shared over a, a mutual interest yeah to a relationship of devotion yeah and intimacy and relationship with uh he who is, yes, and always has been and always will be. Yep. So don't underestimate shared mutual interests. True. Because of how, like you said, yeah, 
is one invitation or maybe it was continual invitation. Yeah. And I I think that's just a great shout out to Doug again, because um, persistence in the invite is the mark of like a, a great Christian. Yep. Come on. Yep. The beginning. Well, I mean, the structures, like the, the bones of a relationship with God where there is, as soon as I can remember, my parents did a phenomenal job again. Um, so we were in public school. Uh, I was public schooled my whole life. But on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, before the bus came to pick us up, we prayed a rosary together as a family. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we went to 7 a.m. Mass, and my two older brothers and I served. Hmm. So the the structure my parents gave me with the rosary in the morning or Mass in the morning was very, very helpful. Hmm. And the main point of influence for me, being where I'm at today, I wasn't thinking, you know, at those very early years, because, I mean, I could think, you know, this was, when does someone start remembering things like sure. i don't know second grade kindergarten maybe kindergarten. i don't know like consistently remembering things definitely yeah first grade kindergarten second grade somewhere around sure. there but i remember really enjoying those moments my siblings uh have told me i don't remember this part but they've told me that during the rosary if they were to say the wrong mystery or if they were to hmm. Move to the next mystery only after nine Hail Marys instead of ten, that I would stop them and make them do the tenth, or I would correct them on the mystery. And then uh, at Mass, my two older brothers, I mean, we we served faithfully. Um, They didn't seem to be super into it, uh, but I really, really enjoyed just being in the sanctuary, uh, being right there. with father and you know back then uh the servers at my parish we wore the the white albs you see a lot and i you know just i remember one moment like putting on the alb and seeing myself in the mirror and i just was like this is so cool i look like father does mm-hmm. um and i wasn't thinking at that point i want to be a priest it was just just clear love for for the mass and and the rosary and and being you know near the Eucharist and near, um, yeah. near father in the sanctuary. Uh, that's so yeah, my parents, I'm sure knew that there was something there as well. Yeah. My oldest sister, Molly had worked at camp Tika with, uh, when she like, when can't like the, one of the first years camp was a thing. She mm-hmm. worked there. So my parents knew of it. Mm-hmm. And I think they were the ones to encourage me to go over the summer and, yeah. First time I went was the summer before fifth grade, which is the first time you can. And that was like the first time I got to be around like a large group of Catholics, like Mm -hmm. be somewhere where everywhere you looked like it's another Catholic. Sure. It was very special, very powerful, uh, very wonderful. And when every summer, um, yeah. And then the, the conscious pursuit of the priesthood of discernment started that first summer at camp hmm. when uh, my very first counselor, Jared Cheek, who was a seminarian, wow. yeah. hmm. uh, he told me that I had the qualities of a priest. Wow. And I was blown away. I It was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. So it stuck with me. And that was the first time I, I thought about that as a possibility yep. and not just this, like, I love... 
you know, praying the rosary with my family. I love serving at mass. Um, yeah. So these, these bones, these structures were there for as long as I can remember, but, um, not a lot of like intellectual formation, not a lot of, um, like catechesis. Yeah. I'd say, um, yeah, that's great. I, and I, I think that's a great testament to, uh, obviously family life done right. hundred percent. And like you are living proof that you don't need to send your kid to Catholic school for them to be like a normal good person. Yes. Catholicism starts in the family. Yep. Yes. Catholic schools are meant to be an incredible resource, but family is number one. Yeah. School is an extension, right? It's, yeah. It's uh, just like Liturgy of the Hours is an extension of the Mass, right? It's like yes. um, the same thing right there. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. So amen. And, and, and then I'm bless add your a, family. Please keep going. Agreed. I'm going to add something real quick, just because the, the bones, so the bones were there, but like, this is this might sound crazy, but like actually falling in love with Jesus halfway through seminary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, so I think it was theology one. I think it was theology one. Which is your third year. Well, I I, I did college seminary. So I did did one year at K-State, went to seminary with some credits, did three years of undergraduate seminary. So after three years of undergraduate, I was in theology one. Got it. And... um, there was this one evening, I think it was like 9, 9.30 p.m., and I hadn't experienced this before, um, but there was, I like almost didn't have a choice in the matter. Mm-hmm. I just knew I needed to go to the chapel. Yeah. Um, seminarians go to the chapel all the time, you know, starting sure. at like 5.30 a.m. most yes. days. Uh, Too early. So, so... I'm not unfamiliar with being in the chapel, but just this really kind of out of the blue, like, again, almost, I didn't even have a choice. Yeah. So I went down to the, to the chapel and the, the chapel at Kenrick is so beautiful, mm-hmm. um, rich imagery and incredible colors and beautiful architecture. Great huppa. Huppa? Oh Yeah. What is what is the huppa is the thing over the altar? Well, it's the Hebrew version. Oh, oh. nice. Of the, uh, yeah, there's a few the, different the marriage words. bed wow. of uh, yeah. Canopy. The Baltikino is like the um, Baroque mm-hmm. word, like in Rome and the Vatican. That's a Baltikino, but the one look in, it up, look it up. The one in Kenrick is not a Baltikino. Oh, really? Because it's well, I blew it's that. not Baroque. I, I blew that for sure. Then no, it's a. I'm sure huppa is like the universal term. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Um, anyway, so I made the sign of the cross with, with a rosary because mm. that's kind of my, my go-to. Yeah. Um, and just making the sign of the cross, God just communicated very clearly his, his love for me mm. in a way I hadn't known before. Mm. And that was, that was like, yeah, they took, I mean, there was, there was prayer before. Yeah. There was discernment before. There was knowing how Jesus works and hearing from him, you know, to go to seminary. Sure. But this was like <clears throat> the kind of the kind of communication, the kind of message that like fills a soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when that happened for me. 
and I, yeah, since then I've, I've, I definitely, yeah, I want to facilitate that in as many people as possible and so much earlier than, yeah, you know, but what a gift early twenties. Cause that, that's yeah. just like pure gift. Mm. Yes. It, it wasn't like you're sitting there reading a book and then like the tumblers just like fell into place and things unlocked for you mm-hmm. or anything, but it was just the Lord deigned it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Deigned it. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this now Yep. for my son. Yeah. I'm going to tell him how much I love him through something so simple and commonplace and take it for granted almost, you know, the sign of the cross. Come on. Yeah. Yep. So that's the before and hmm. I'm the after. <laughs> love that. Love that. That's awesome. Yeah. I love how you just articulated that, that like you had a relationship with the Lord like the whole time and the Lord allowed these structures to kind of build since your childhood and then all the way up even to seminary. And then in one moment, like he can just profoundly communicate his love. Um, yeah. And yeah, there's a deepening that happens in the soul. Um, oh, for sure. To where, yep. A door yep. opened that was not maybe open before. I don't yeah. want to put words in your mouth, but like. I would I'd agree with that. Those moments of just expansion. Yeah. And depth. It's like yep. you've drank water your whole life and then you tasted the glory of coffee. coffee? Oh, <laughs> got him. Come on. Nice. Or milkshake. Espresso. Oh. Yeah, espresso. 100 percent Come on. Anthony, I just fist bumped. Father Anthony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, it was beautiful to watch. Um so tell tell me about your relationship with the Eucharist today. Like or or just like your prayer life in general, because as priests, like you're super weird and not yeah. you're not normal. Yeah. <laughs> so like true. Tell us about how actually normal you are. Those are different questions. Those are very different questions. Tell Prompt, us about prompts, how normal you are. Prompts have been asserted. <laughs> <laughs> submitted. <laughs> Tell us about what's I mean, your relationship with the Lord and like what is your what is your lived relationship with Jesus look like today? Well, speaking of structures, I mean, I'm really grateful for seminary mm. in the fact that in seminary you are training, you're preparing, you're building to enter into the life of a priest and to have a structure um, to enter that priesthood with because um, if you're not grounded in the Lord, your priesthood is not fruitful. Yep. Um, And so to have that um, time for prayer set every day Mm. um, is a non-negotiable, I think, as a priest and and wanting to have a fruitful priesthood and work in the vineyard with the Lord. Yeah. that's easier said than done, right? Um, in our in our practical daily lives. Um, but I'm grateful for the seminary for providing that scru- structure um, for us. Um, so, for me, it, it it does look like trying to make a daily holy hour. Mm. Um, do I make it every day? Not always. Um, but that and daily mass are the two things. The night before that, I'm like, okay, Lord, tomorrow, this is my time for prayer. This is my mass. Like. Those are one, two. Um, that's it's a one, two punch. Yeah. Come on. Exactly. Boom, boom. That's the center, center of my life. Um, and so it's living with the Lord um, in that relationship of his Eucharistic presence that mm. I'm trying to cultivate and foster every day in my priesthood Yeah. to let him fill me, uh, to receive his invitation to trust him, that yeah. my day is planned for me by him. And mm. if I'm cooperating with him, 
then I'm, I'm living it. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm being fruitful in the vineyard. So is your, yeah. is your holy hour, um, when you, when you do make it, is it the same time every day or is that, does it vary or consistency? It varies. Um, because I have two assignments. And so that's part of the reason why it's a struggle. Um, so some days it's a full yeah. hour, try to make the full hour in the morning. Some days it's just 30 minutes sure. in the morning and then 30 minutes in the evening. Sure, sure. It's in my schedule. Cool. Am I always hitting it? Not always. No, yeah. Um, Humanity's real. But um, yeah, that's that's what it looks like um, for me. And then I would say too, like um, offering the mass, I mean, is the best and it's such an incredible gift. Yeah. Um, and then... To say it simply, like my life is trying to conform my heart to the words that I say. Come on, every mass. This is my body given for you. You know, um, offering that Jesus is inviting me to offer that uh, with Him because yeah. He's saying it every day, <laughs> um, and it's my invitation to to say it with Him mm-hmm. and then try to try and live it. Yeah. So, um, what yeah, is your um, like? What does your time with Him look like? Because uh, sometimes people hear, I mean, lay folk hear holy hour and they're like, uh, what? <laughs> You're like, you want me to just sit there for an hour? Like, are you kidding? Like, what, what do I, but I have to be doing something, don't I? I have to be like, I have to have, to have, to have my hands folded and on my knees, you know, reciting the rosary in Latin. <laughs> like, what is, what is a holy hour really look like for you guys? Yeah. Well, just in general, holy hour is, yeah, like an hour spent with our Lord. Yeah. So you can have a book you're reading. You can yep. kneel the entire 60 minutes. You can pray multiple rosaries. Mm. Um, maybe even, yeah, uh, listen to a, a very clearly religious podcast at Borderline for me, maybe. Um, but it, yeah, there's, there's so many ways to spend 60 minutes with our Lord. Sure. He wants to be a full part of our life and everything we do and experience. And so time with him isn't meant to have like too many bounds. Sure. You know? Mm. Yeah. I find my, my favorite like prayer, my favorite time with God is, yeah, just sitting or kneeling simply and kind of just sharing my heart and my mind with him. Yeah. Mm. Um, that's how I encourage most people to pray. Um, I prefer levitating. That <laughs> dude, I ha- yeah, haven't been there yet, but I'm, I'm pumped. That's level 10. I'm so uh, excited. Wow. It's going to be amazing. One day. Um, yeah, and I, I would just submit to brothers and sisters out there that if you're, if you're married, family life is messy and loud and super busy, of course. Priests, you're, you're no different in that regard. Um, but just holy half in the morning, holy half in the evening, somehow, mm-hmm. some way. Like, um, I do not want to be the, the example to the world, but like I get up and first thing I do after I get ready for the day is you know, just crack open the Bible. And I chrono- I chronologically just work through the Gospels. Mm. Um, I heard that on, I think it was uh, G- Gomer on like Every Knee Shall Bow podcast was like, I do this in his like super great voice. Like, I do this and it's amazing. <laughs> and um, and I'm just like, wow, that's actually really simple. You put it like that, just like reading two chapters every day in the morning, taking your time. I read it out loud because if I don't read it out loud, I'm going to get lost in the footnotes and all of my notes and marks that I have just like tattered my Bible with. Like I would get so distracted so quickly, but I have to read it out loud and it just puts me there. It puts me there in the Lord's presence and he's Mm. speaking. Mm. I'm speaking Christ's words Mm. over my life, over my family, 
over my home, over my ministry, my apostolate, like whatever it is, all my interactions, like it's beautiful. So that usually takes, you know, half hour or so. And then if something hits me, I just stop. Yeah. I just stop. I'm like, okay, Lord, what's going on here? Yeah. Why did that get me? And usually it's a lot, you know, super quick. It doesn't have to be that, that, uh, you know, like that. But in the evening, you know, getting home with the family, um, been kind of off the horse about this, but like going into Lent here, um, I want to be praying the rosary with my family every day. You know, whether it be because I've got I've got three littles at home. I've got a four year old, two year old, and a, a six month old. So we're cooking. Yes, uh, we're cooking with gas, and <laughs> just like you know, whether it be a decade or or uh, or a full rosary, whatever it is, just like giving time to the Lord in the morning and yeah. in the evening, kind of being the uh, the pendulum swings of my life. Yeah, you two know? pillars of the day, right? Morning and evening. Yeah, that yeah. moment I described in the chapel at Kenrick. That happened within maybe 90 seconds of me walking into right. the chapel. Yeah. So mm. whatever you have, be it 90 seconds <laughs> or sure. or 90 minutes, give it yeah. to Jesus. Amen. Yes. Here we go. Joel 2, 28 through 30, if memory serves, says, Now shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Mm. So, like in that vein, what do you, what's your heart for the church today, and what do you think the Lord's doing right now? Praying the mass. So, Father Thomas, you you mentioned yeah, your holy hour and your mass is like two pillars, mm. and. One thing, I mean, I, as a priest, we think about the Mass pretty often. Yep. Uh, whether, whether we're offering it or yep. thinking of a homily. Um, I've only been ordained coming up on three years, and I loved the Mass from a very early age. Yeah. Fell more in love with it, learning more in seminary, and now I get to offer and pray the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And I do say praying the mass more often now than offering or saying. Right. I like that. Because it is like the, the more I offer it and the more I pray it, the more of a prayer it becomes for me, especially once I get to the altar. Yeah. Mm. It is, I'm praying to God the Father. Mm. And it's beautiful. I'm yeah. praying with our Lord, with his words, you know, yeah. with the apostles, the martyrs, angels, saints, Mary, Joseph, and yeah, the mass is what's meant to transform the world. Mm. And so the more we're able to enter into it and more fully we're able to pray it, the more God can do what he desires to do. Mm. So, and I see that happening in a lot of different ways in my own parish, my own high school, you know, getting to spend time with my, my buddy priests mm. and hear about their experiences the mass is an incredibly important focus and it deserves to be. And I do see the mass and the prayer that is the mass being embraced more and more fully and more fruitfully. I think that might answer both of your questions. What's cool. my vision of the church and what do I yeah, see? Yeah, like what do you the think church? the Lord's doing right now? Yeah, he's he's bringing people in. Yeah. Which is that's his main his main goal. That's what he does. It's what he mm. does. Mm. 
very similar to you, Father Anthony. I feel a deep, yeah, desire in my heart and I think in the heart of the Lord and the church um, that his people, the mystical body, would unite themselves with Christ mm. in his offering to the Father in a deeper way. That was the vision of the fathers of the Second Vatican Council. Um, that's where I believe the Holy Spirit was pushing the church. The first document that they looked at was the sacred liturgy, right? Because it's the most important. And so I feel like uh, investing in catechesis um, on the Mass is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, inviting people to get to know more about it, inviting people to enter in and pray the Mass. Um, and in whatever ways that we can at our high schools, at our parishes, to help people enter into that more deeply. Um, so I, I see that on one hand, and then I see on the other hand um, the people who are on the outskirts, right? Yeah. And the people who are like mass, like, what is that? Like, um, are they unchurched, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it's reaching out to them um, in a personal way, personal relationship, inviting them into a Catholic community, a Catholic worldview. Yeah. Um, and then bringing them to what what is the source and summit, right? Which is the mass. So I don't like the thinking of like, okay, it's all about evangelization on one hand, and then it's all about the liturgy on the other hand. Yeah. Um, but it's both hand, and yep. so we're we're bringing them to the mass, and we're coming out of the mass and going into the world. You yep. know, so that they're inseparable. I mean, yes. mass literally means sent. Yeah. Yes. Like hello. Yep. yep. And that's what he's doing is transforming is yep. at the mass. Yeah, the mass, the mass is where God does his main work of transforming. I mean, we literally receive Jesus into our body to yeah. be transformed from within. And then that that does yeah. um like empower us and strengthen us and nourish us to be able to just naturally, organically uh, be Jesus Christ to every person. Yeah. So the mass is where we get what we need to to truly encounter the person on the fringe, you know, the yeah. unchurched per person and, uh, and know what to say sure. and know how to behave. Yeah. Yeah. They're not at all separate. Yeah. And if you're unchurched and listening to this, if you have not been to mass in a long time, do we love you so much? And if you Definitely. see a man in a collar, go up and say hello. Don't just stare yeah. and, right. And be like, what the heck? <laughs> hello, sir, <laughs> person. <laughs> you look different. What? <laughs> I like your dress. <laughs> um, frock. I prefer frock. Oh, frock. Yes. Some people say cassock. That sounds kind of cool. <laughs> I wear socks. Um, <laughs> nice. Anyway, do you think they have... Okay, I just want to know. Do you think they have similar... Like, I mean, sock is literally in cassock. So, like, hmm. is it just like a big black sock that well, you... Is, is, isn't sock just like kind of covering... Never thought about it like that. <laughs> One big black sock. It's it is. It's kind of everything but a sock. It's a giant. Though, we're, just, we're just giant feet. feet. <laughs> I'm just a big old foot. Hey, body of Christ needs feet, dude. He does. <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to think of a cassock in the same way. Socks. <laughs> when you buy one, do you have to buy two? Is it a two for one? Two for one. <laughs> dude, I wish it was there, dude. There, some of them are so expensive. It's crazy. I bet. I wish it yeah. was, yeah. You, you pay for a pair. That'd be amazing. <sighs> Amen. 
And then do you think, uh, this is super, super just off the wall, but like, do you think the liturgical, I mean, what do you call those shirts? Clerical shirts. Do you think the clerical shirt stems from a priest once upon a time asking for half off? Mm. And the guy mm. or gal or group of nuns was like, sure, we'll give you half off and gave him a shirt. Wow. Wow. It's That's not why we're here today. Um, <laughs> but I hope that's been uh, um, stimulating for somebody out there. Just like they're like, what is going on? Anyway. So, so it's many me. of our... I'm that person. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> oh, boy. Come on, Jesus. Okay. Well, so many of our, our brothers and sisters out there, and like even those listening to uh, this podcast right now, might be really wrestling with the, the reality of Jesus and the Eucharist. Um, and it's okay to wrestle. Like Israel, the people of Israel, literally, like their forefather in the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob literally got his name changed to Israel because he threw down. He wrestled with yeah, the Lord. Straight up. Literally. Israel literally means he who wrestles, right? I don't yes. know. Read yes, the Bible. It does. It's in Genesis. But like, it's okay to wrestle. So what would you share? Uh, words of counsel, words of wisdom, anything uh, with our brothers and sisters who might be trying to wrap their head or heart around this reality? I would say faith is a gift. And we cannot understand the Eucharist in its nature and its mysticism without faith. Mm. Um, I love that the apostles continue to ask the Lord, increase our faith, mm. you know? And so for anyone who's, who's wrestling with that question, is he truly present? Um, ask for faith mm. and the Lord will provide. One of my favorite, I think this comes from a church father um, about transubstantiation, like the actual changing of the bread and wine into yeah. the body and blood of Christ. He talks about, if God can speak the entire cosmos into being, um, could he not transform bread and wine by speaking these words um, over them into his body and blood? Right? So, sounds plausible to me. <laughs> yeah. Logically, yeah, I, yes. <laughs> I love that though, because yeah. it's just like, it, it comes from the same source, right? Yeah. If God is truly God and you believe that, then could he not? Yeah. So you mentioned faith is a gift. What do you do with a gift? You re either return it or you open it and keep it. Yeah. So you like, there has to be a, like a, an act of accepting, of mm. receiving and being open. Mm. Um, yeah, and you very well could just be like, no thanks, pass. Yeah. Regift. So, <laughs> regift. Uh, I've never done that before. What is that? Good for you. Um, <laughs> so, yes, this this faith, uh, especially focusing on faith in the Eucharist and, and, mm. and being able to see and know to some level that Jesus is entirely present and given to us in the Eucharist is in itself a gift, like the ability to see it and know it. And so to, to receive that gift, there has to be a level of openness, mm -hmm. a level of acceptance. Yeah. So whatever level there is, even if it's super tiny, or there might not be any at a certain moment, but you want it, 
even even the act of like accepting is something God helps us with. And so yeah. whatever level of of desire you have to know, of openness you have to to see our Lord in the right. Eucharist, take that to him. Yeah. And you mentioned the apostles themselves said mm-hmm. increase our faith. That should be a prayer all all of us have. No, Father Maddox said that. That's what I meant. Yep, credit given. Um increase our faith. Yeah. That's 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 no different whether you're someone who doesn't believe and wants to or you're a Catholic priest. Yeah. yeah. Like openness, uh, G.K. Chesterton, he says what, you know, don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out yeah. or, or whatever. Like, But the openness that you spoke of, it's like, it's, it's, it's a simple openness. It's like the same way that you'd be open to friendship or evaluating like the authenticity of a relationship at all. It's like, is this real? Mm-hmm. Is this love? Is this true? You know, is the, you know, really just getting the heart out of it for a second and just being like, is this, is this authentic? You know, you, what do the pirates do? They, they bite gold coins because apparently you can tell, I don't know. Mm. I'm not a pirate. Sounds like it hurt your teeth. Right. Like, I don't know what they're doing, biting coins all the time in the, in the movies, but like they're testing the authenticity of something. Um, they take it to the refiner. Why am I on pirates? I don't know. Point being, any truth of the faith ought to be approached with some type of authentic openness, you know? So like mm-hmm. whether you're you're like, okay, I'm not totally on board with this whole Eucharist thing. Okay, you know, what are you on board and why are you on board with that? Mm-hmm. Odds are you are at least some point in time authentically open to receiving that as truth. And evaluating it for what it is and just like putting it on the scale and, and weighing it in your heart of hearts. Is this real? Is this true? And I feel like the, the Eucharist is no exception. Like we we are obligated as as um, as just children hmm. of the Father to hmm. to approach the Eucharist as hmm. anything else in the world with this this Simple. equal level of just openness. Yeah. To the world. I don't know. Yeah, simple trust. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the Lord's going to reveal it to you, right? Yeah. But just asking yourself too, like, okay, well, if this is real, what does that mean for me, for my life, for the church? Like, is it, is the church not just a mystical body, but truly a corporate reality that I can participate in and be united with my brothers and sisters in physically, tangibly, not just like, through baptism, yes, but daily, weekly, in the Eucharist. What would that mean? So now might be a good time to transition into the second part of our conversation today about this amazing papal document, Ecclesia de Eucharistia by Pope St. John Paul II, the great, the dude. This guy... (laughs) I like the sound effects. You know, we've got a sound pad here that we can upload a bunch of like sound effects on i think i'm gonna take that what you just did i'm gonna download it so to use his voice (laughs) as the i like that more than the actual one so get excited listener listener you're welcome (laughs) what is it you just said listener and paused i did i I need to work on my terms here which is great as a host listener hoodville hoodville that's the one 
So uh, just to give a little bit more context about this document, it was written in 2003, which was uh, John Paul II's 25th year of his pontificate. Um, and he wrote this document, Ecclesia de Eucharistia, for one purpose, really. And he says in paragraph 6, to rekindle Eucharistic amazement in the bride of Christ, in the body of Christ, the church. So uh, the, the section that we're going to be taking a look at today is paragraphs 11 through 20. And the, the, the focus of this section is the mystery of faith. If you haven't already, we want to invite you on a journey of actually going through this document together. Um, we know that like when we, when we hear like papal document, encyclical, whatever, apostolic exhortation, these are big words, these are scary. When you think about these big, like, okay, I don't want to just like sit down with a document. I'm, I don't blame you, okay? But like if, we able, if we're able to take it apart piece by piece and kind of look at some of the greatest hits, if you will, um, it becomes a lot more approachable and manageable. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, download this document. Get a small group together or something. Maybe you've got a small group. Go through this together with your people. And this is something that you can actually talk about. You can pray about. And there's fruit for you here. Um, why do I know that? Because I know that he wrote this document to the bishops, priests, deacons, men, women, in the consecrated life, and all the lay faithful. Everybody, okay? He is writing this document to the entire church including you. So, yeah, without further ado, let's jump into some document gold from paragraphs 11 through 20 of Eucharistia de Ecclesia. I messed that up. Ecclesia de Eucharistia. Golden nuggets. Gentlemen, any anything stick out to you guys through this section? Yeah. Um, it was cool to be invited to, to read this, first of all. I mean, to get back to this um, beautiful document. I believe I studied it a little bit back in seminary. Um, but then to, yeah, to actually read again the words of this holy saint um, in his writing was was really awesome. Um, there were two that stuck out to me in paragraph 11 already. Nice. Um, the beginning, I'm not going to say both, but um, the first one um, was about the giftedness of yeah. the Eucharist. Um, the quote, the church has received the Eucharist from Christ her Lord, not as one gift, however precious, among so many others, but as the gift par excellence, for it is the gift of himself, mm. of his person in his sacred humanity, as well as the gift of his saving work. Can't give anything more than yourself. I mean, that that's it. Um, and so that's why I liked it, just highlighting the fact that the Eucharist is the greatest gift that we have received from God. Um, and so should, yeah. should be. If, if he had something greater to give us, he would have given it to us mm. because he loves us Yep. so much. So much to the point of like dying the most humiliating death yep. to, to reclaim that which we forfeited at the beginning. Yep. Like, come on. Yep. And then making it better. accessible to yeah. every individual throughout time. Yeah, one thing that, that those words and some of the words around it in this uh, document, it's so Jesus gives himself perfectly to us in the Eucharist. And it's the fullness of Jesus. Mm. There's a focus on there's a focus on the the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection, but it is the entirety of Jesus. So the crucifixions where he gave himself all of the way to yep. us yep. and for us, 
But even in his infancy, even in his time in Nazareth learning, even in his yeah. like miracles and, and walking about, mm-hmm. every action of Jesus is present in the Eucharist. And true as well, because it's our Lord Jesus Christ, like one thing I was thinking about within the last few weeks is that like every grace given to the world throughout time comes from the Eucharist. Mm. Wow. I'm in. Like God works in the world by the Eucharist. We're done. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes and amen. Yes and amen. Um, I kind of got a, a one-two punch uh, from paragraph 12 and 13. Um, he says in 12, uh, in instituting it, the Eucharist, uh, he did not merely say, this is my body, this is my blood, but went on to add, which is given for you, which is poured out for you. He says that in 12 and in 13, he says, the gift of his love and obedience to the point of giving his life is in the first place a gift to his father. Mm. Certainly it is a gift given for our sake, yes, and indeed that of all humanity, yes, yet it is first and foremost a gift to the Father. To the Father. Why? For what purpose and to what end? One is an act of worship and loving obedience as son, but second, for you. He wasn't doing this for its own sake. I'm not going to say what he did not do this for. I'll say that. He did this for you and me. All of us. Every living person on the face of the earth and not living person. Because he went down to the depths of Hades and yanked all those suckers out. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. I love that icon where he's holding the hands of Adam and Eve. Yes. Like coming out of the tomb. Yep. Oh, grabbing them by the wrist. Because knowing that, yeah, if he were to grab them by the hand, that they could actually let go. But that's why he grabs them by the wrist. He's like, you're coming with me. Oh, wow. <laughs> we're going to party town. <laughs> Not, you know what I mean. Come on. Y'all are holy people. Yeah, heaven's there. party town. Yeah. I, I mean, get it. it's a banquet. Yeah. It's a banquet. Oh, it's going to be a party. It, it will, yes. And we know the Lord loves wine. Okay. So to finish out this point, like <clears throat> Jesus wants to glorify the Father through you. Let's just sit with that for a second. Like he can glorify the Father alone. He's Jesus. He can do anything. Yeah. But he chooses, he wants to glorify the Father together. Yeah. Bring you in to him glorifying the father yes there's this great line jesus died not just to get us to heaven one day he died to get heaven in us today i dig it the kingdom of god is in your midst it is here in you come on and with that i rest my case cool thanks for my next tumbling on the eucharist lee you're welcome i uh one thing that stood out for me was the focus at the end of 12 and 13 and the beginning of 13 on like the true sacrifice that is the mass. The end of 12 says the sacrificial nature of the Eucharistic mystery cannot therefore be understood as something separate, independent of the cross, or only indirectly referring to the sacrifice of Calvary by virtue of its close relationship to the sacrifice of Golgotha, the Eucharist is a sacrifice in the strict sense. It can be hard, to see the Mass as a sacrifice. Mm. 
for a lot of different reasons. I mean, most like to the, to the to the core, I think, is that what we have in the mass is an unbloody sacrifice. Mm. So it's been changed, like sensibly to us changed. And then when you factor in like all the factors of a mass, you know, the the kind of the spirit of the music and the the lights and whatever. Yeah. Um all the different factors um it can communicate towards or against the mass being a very real sacrifice. This isn't something I do um intentionally necessarily, but um my mother used to give me a hard time. Mm. When I first started celebrating Mass, she was like, you never smile. She was like, you need to smile more. Mm. And I've heard that a couple different times. Mm. Um, but I've also heard, and I can give you names of people <laughs> who have told me this, that I do smile. Like, I, it does happen. It is real. It, it exists. My smile exists. And But in the Mass, like in the sanctuary, it, it's, it's a sacrifice. Mm. And so I, I'm not going to put on a fake smile. Like I want to pray with and be a part of this sacrifice. And yeah. to me, it's a very somber, very meaningful, very beautiful. Mm. Um, and there definitely are moments of joy and, yeah. and smile. But the, the, the focus, yes, definitely on the sacrifice itself. Yeah. I think what people will notice, um, not that I'm correcting your mother, because your mother knows everything. She does. I just want to make that clear. Yes. Um, <laughs> authenticity, right? Authenticity. Like the most you, you is what people will see. And a discerning heart, right? They'll be able to see that. Mm-hmm. So just not you do you. I'm not saying you do you. But be as authentically in the sacrifice as much as you can be in what else. I mean, whatever. That's what we're supposed to do. Come on. Yeah. Shout out to St. Padre Pio. I've heard that when he celebrated the Mass, mm. like people, like it was evident that it was a sacrifice by the way that yeah. he entered in, that he prayed the words at parts was like yeah. trembling um, out of love for what, you know, Jesus is doing for him yeah. on the cross. You know, it was just, I love hearing stories about that because it does help us to reflect on, yeah, this right. is this is a true sacrifice. And yeah. when you're that close to the Lord in holiness, then that's what you're experiencing too. Right. You know, when so. you see when you see something wrecking somebody else, yep. I'm like, oh wow. So for example, here at the St. Lawrence Center, um, I remember in college sometime, uh, Father Mirko Socio. Mm-hmm. I, I could be messing up his last name, but I think his first name is Father Mirko. That's correct. Yes. And he just during the consecration, he held our Lord up for like two or three minutes. And I'm like, he gets something that I don't. And not out of an act of like jealousy, but I'm just like, I was floored by the way in which this this man was moved to stillness and tears. Mm-hmm. And his facial expression said everything. Or maybe think of like what St. John would have looked like at the foot of the cross. This is like this the sense of duty on his face, the sense of love, betrayal, sadness, melancholy, just like all in one. That changed the way that I went to Mass for sure. Mm. And so mothers and fathers out there, the same thing applies to you at Mass. 
with your kids. They are always watching you. This is nothing new. You know this. But yeah, if it really gets you, you know, let it let it show. Let it happen. Yeah. Paragraph 15, something really got me in 15. He said, talking about the real presence of Christ because... Uh, got it I, highlighted. Did I steal it from Let's you? Let's go, man. Oh, okay. tag team. All right, cool. So um, in this section, he's really talking about the mystery of faith. Just a reminder, he's talking about the mystery of faith, talking about the, the celebration of the Eucharist at Mass and what that means. So he's right here in 15 talking about the real presence. He says, quote, uh, the real presence is called real, not as a way of excluding all other types of presence as if they were not real, but because it is a presence in the fullest sense, a substantial presence whereby Christ, the God-man, is holy and entirely present. And this really made me think, okay, it, Christ in the Mass, yes, is totally physically holy, present. Christ in the Eucharist, holy, totally, physically present um and then the christ in the tabernacle is the same physically tangibly holy entirely present in the tabernacle and it really just got me going and i'm like okay jesus is in there for me for me not as if i'm some like tyrant king that he's here to serve no but he's he's here on earth at all for for me like he wants me. Mm. He wants to dwell within me. Mm. He's here. He did what he did on the cross for me. Mm. It's like, yes, I've heard that before, but no, 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 no. In the Eucharist, it's a physical, tangible representation. Not representation. A, well, yeah, it's a it, it's representing yeah. the same singular sacrifice of Christ. And it's not just his sacrifice, but him himself, which is nuts. This is like mystic, mystical, just off the charts. And I'm like, okay, if that's true, he's not in there focused on something else. He's not in the tabernacle doing his taxes. <laughs> or he, doesn't, the, he doesn't have to pay taxes. He, he doesn't. There's no taxes in heaven. Dude, you know what he did? Oh my gosh. He, he went to the water for that one. Peter's like, hey, do you, your, does your teacher do you know, the temple tax? He's like, oh, sure, I think so. And then he's like, hey, Peter, listen, dude. I don't, okay? But because you said yes, go to the go to the lake and get yourself a little coin, a little fish, get yes. a hook, and just give him that for me, okay? Just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I don't pay I don't pay taxes in my father's house. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I love that story. It's so obscure and amazing so and awesome. Yeah. I but true. Yeah, it is true. Why would yeah. they include it? Why would yeah, yeah. I forget if it's Mark or yeah. whoever, but we don't have to go into that. Sorry, you were yeah. on a roll and I yeah. it's okay. derailed you. It's okay. So here here's just the He's there in the tabernacle, not on the phone with mom, not on the phone with the customer support for like his printer at home, not working. Yep. He's, he's there solely for me and for you. He's solely paying attention and his attention is completely fixed mm. on me. This is, not a, this is not a narcissistic ploy, but like this is the point. He did this as an act of worship to the father to what end? For me to get uh, in my heart, to transform yeah. me, to build a bridge where I'd burnt it. His attention is not fixed somewhere else. You have his full attention. So he's there fully present, really present mm -hmm. for you in giving himself to us in this form of unleavened bread. Like he knew what he was getting into. He knew that he was subjecting himself to 
to being abused, yeah, dropped on the ground and and stolen and left Spilled. left in yeah. a, a missile, which hurt. I mean, yeah, that that hurts to say. Um, and I've mentioned this at at multiple masses before. Like it's it's so it's such incredible proof of how much he loves you that he knew that this would happen. Yeah, that he'd be treated like this at times. And that's how he still gave himself to us. Yeah. Uh, and that's not even the worst of it. Like egregious. It's not. Yeah. And and one thing too yeah. I want to touch on is with whenever there's an element of a mass that's hard for me or or like less than satisfactory mm-hmm. for me. Uh, lately I've been really grateful to like go to this place in prayer of like God, you knew that this was part of it. Yeah. When you gave mm-hmm. us the mass, when you gave us the Eucharist. You are incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you love so more than I do. Mm. So much more than I do. So that's my that was my little furthering thought on what you said. And then the end of 15 is what I highlighted. Every theological explanation which seeks some understanding of this mystery in order to be in accord with Catholic faith must firmly maintain. Sorry, must firmly maintain that in objective reality, independently of our mind, the bread and wine have ceased to exist after the consecration. So that the adorable body and blood of the Lord Jesus from that moment on are really before us under the sacramental species of bread and wine. This as a as a priest in today's world, it's kind of hard to to like speak openly about the objective truth that is God, that is our sure. Lord Jesus Christ, that is like his gift in the Eucharist. Um, but reading that, it's just so beautiful to, to be able to like just fully embrace the fact that, yeah, now this is, this is an objective truth that Jesus now is present in the Eucharist. And just for me personally, and then for, for people that I spend time with too, one thing that that means is like it doesn't matter in a way like whether you see it or not on a given day mm-hmm. whether you feel it or not on a given day it is an objective like immutable truth that our lord is there yeah and he's there giving himself to us focused on us there for us regardless of of yeah like whether we see it, whether we know it, whether we recognize it, whether we appreciate it. Yeah. And so it should move us to to recognize him and appreciate him and pursue him and receive his love and graces more and more fully. Yeah. But yeah, his his presence, his love, his gift isn't dependent on our feeling like it's great or like the we're great. Yeah. It is always there. Yeah. I I think that's very well said yeah. and something that needs to be said, especially with I mean, us as priests who are offering the mass every day, yeah. sometimes twice a day, um, and for people who are daily mass goers or people who already have a relationship with the Lord and the Eucharist, right. um, to just know that objectively, He is present, and by faith and reason, I know that He's there. So yeah. I, I really appreciate that. And like once we come into like once we drink, uh, once we draw our soul into alignment with that truth, it becomes a bulwark, like a lighthouse. Yeah. fixed on a rock in the middle of the nastiest storm and you're on this little dinghy it, you know in the middle of a northeaster yeah. okay it's it's become something that you can point to and hang on to like it's your 
your and, anchor in a and like huddle hunker down on yeah you know yeah and that's even more true when like taking this you know analogy one step further of like when when the storms of life come and just thrash you about grief loss pain suffering neglect you name it he's still there come on fully totally yes Paragraph 17, through our communion in his body and blood, Christ also grants us his spirit. Oh my gosh, guys, get ready for this next line. I lost my mind. St. Ephraim writes, oh, he called the bread his living body and he filled it with himself and his spirit. He who eats it eats fire and spirit. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I want to eat fire and spirit. I'll take a double dose. I'll take seconds. You got to be careful, man. I know. You got to be careful what you pray for. Seriously. Careful what you pray for because you just might get it. (laughs) I liked the line. The Eucharist is a straining towards the goal, Mm. a foretaste of the fullness of joy promised by Christ. It is in some way the anticipation of heaven, the pledge of future glory. So, I love that for a couple of reasons. One is that straining, yeah. Um, that yeah, it, it's a longing. Um, and I, I mean, I think of the Lord on the cross, like straining and, and offering Himself to the Father. And then it's also, you know, a foretaste of the joy. Like we, it's a taste of heaven. We're, yeah. we're not. We taste it. We're not there, but we get to taste it. Don't you um, want to go to a good cake tasting? <laughs> always. Like for your, when you got married and stuff, did you go to a, I mean, when you did the, the, the whole, the consecration thing, like Rewind. the whole, you know, the whole like anointing and, you know, what laying on the hands, whatever, oh, the ordination did, thing. Did you do, uh, did we you didn't do, have any, no, you didn't no, have that cake I thing. Didn't do that. Cake, it's just a cake tasting. Okay. Yeah. That's we just had some Chipotle catering at my sister's house. I'm in, I'm in. So like every married person out there probably knows what I'm talking about. Ladies, especially, you know what I'm saying? Cake tastings are awesome. You get to go and just eat cake. <laughs> of a lot of varieties. Different icings, different cake textures, I don't know, <laughs> flavors. I want that. I want take cake tastings all the time. And I think that's um, the foretaste of glory. Like if it's this good here, there's no there's no wonder the Lord chooses a wedding banquet yeah. for what heaven's going to be like. Yeah. I love the, the, the use of the word straining mm. as well. Does that not describe... The Christian life. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of us are, you mentioned wrestling earlier mm-hmm. too, wrestling with God, how it's like, don't be ashamed to, yeah. to wrestle with God. I, there's this strain, this wrestling is, it's never, it's not done until yeah. we're in heaven. Um, yeah. And a lot of times we can, we can feel the accentuated strain and burden and think something's off. Yeah. Or God is upset. Or we're doing something wrong. Dude, that's what the spiritual life is. Yep. And I just want to say that so that people yeah. that are Own it. strained, people that are burdened, um, wrestling, yeah, like be with God. Don't run alone. That's like he's got you yeah. somewhere significant. Yeah. That's it. Takes two to tango, folks. At least. At least two. <laughs> um, yeah, like despair, desolation, just be gone in Jesus' name. 
Like if that's something that's hitting you right now, wherever you're at, wherever you're listening to this, whenever you're listening to this, I just I just claim the Lord's victory and his joy and his peace for you. And you can do that too. Just say, I claim the peace and joy of Christ right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So paragraph 19, This lo- I love this word. Two great words right next to each other. Eschatological tension. Wow. Mm. Wow. The eschatological tension. Eschatology is the study of end times, the end, end the eschaton. End things, the eschaton, the end of ends. Uh, anyway, but tension, right? We we can kind of grapple with that word. So he says in uh, paragraph 19, the eschatological tension kindled by the Eucharist expresses and reinforces our communion with the church in heaven. In celebrating the sacrifice of the Lamb, we are united to the heavenly liturgy, which is a fancy Greek word just meaning corporate work, okay? Corporate work. And become part of that great multitude which cries out, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne. Who's our God who sits on the throne of heaven and to the Lamb? Come on, Revelation 7, verse 10. This this eschatological tension uh, bound up in the Eucharist. Uh, what is he talking about? He's talking about um, the, the today and the one day held in the same breath, in the same hand. And just a side note, like the Lord, he, people think the Lord just like says no to stuff, but usually it's just a not yet or a, a reframing of the gift in a better way that we thought. Mm. But the liturgy, this corporate work, right, is one, is, is a corporate work of glory and of actively participating in the saving work of Christ. So here's where the rubber is definitely meeting the road. And I got jacked up thinking about this. Um, when we eat and drink this cup, we're drinking and calling down responsibility upon ourselves to actively participate in the heavenly liturgy while here on earth. It's this eschatological tension. Because like in the Mass, in the consecration, in the Eucharist, all things are bound up. Like time is in the Father's hands, but like Christ his work is a work that we participate in as the body of Christ here today. But I just like when I was praying about this, I just saw, I saw like, um, like the heart of God drawing in energy and like drawing in light from it's, it's his left and his right into his heart, into his chest at the same time, like this eschatological tension of having all past, present and future held in the same heart. Yeah. And like that's the Eucharist. And like in that Eucharist, when we eat and drink this cup, we are calling down mission upon ourselves to worship the Father and to go out and bear fruit in his vineyard. And it's like that same power that created galaxies and stars, millions of millions times the size of like our star or our earth or whatever, that same power in essence is in us through the Eucharist and we get to participate in that creative glory of, of, of restoration yes but of creating something new too I don't know that's big the duty and the responsibility of being called into mission this isn't just a all right got my Eucharist for the week thanks folks thanks yeah. father it's been great hey hey, hey shake your hand yeah. it's like no this this is the this is the beginning not not the end as i'm on my way out yep yeah this is 
the motivation and the source to be able to to mm. to live and grow and go out. Yeah. So if yeah, if you're just like, all right, done, done with mass, church done, and then you shut off. Yeah. The valve. Right. It's too bad. And speaking of shutting valves off, uh, I just want to give a shout out to our moms. Valves is in <laughs> veins. Uh, so this is crazy. I heard this I don't. a long time ago. Just hear me out. I will. That's okay. <laughs> so moms, I heard that moms out there, um, the the DNA of your baby stays in your bloodstream forever as a yeah. mom. Well, I've heard that. My mom has a lot of DNA. She's got some DNA. <laughs> <laughs> That's so beautiful and true. And I think it's uh, pointing... Uh, or it can point us to like the reality of okay, if Jesus is who He says He is, and the Eucharist is what He says it is, then like the DNA of Jesus also flows through my veins. Mm. That's a meta thought for mm. you. Mm. Like, I like it. If His life is in it, if He's in it, come on, why not? Why not? He's changing my genome. I mean, straight up, that's why He gives Himself to us as food. Let's go. Because food is something that like is integrated into our physical body. Yeah. Mm. And that's why he writes it on our heart. How do you write it on the heart? From the inside out. The new law, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 34. Let's go. I This is my first podcast ever. Big day. Yeah. So I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the whole experience. And it was great to be with you guys. Yeah. Anthony, you have like a voice You've got a good radio voice. It's great. It's definitely a face for radio. I just want to <laughs> listen wow. to you, dude. Like I feel like when that's I a, that's about. a thank you. That's the first time I've heard that because this is also my first podcast. Thank you for your priesthood. Thank you for your yes. Thank you for your <sighs> willingness to shepherd and willingness to uh, participate in a very special way in Christ's own priesthood. Um, yeah, in His one singular high priesthood for all time. Thank you. Um, and I just want to say thank you because it's it's of it's because of your yes. It's because of what happens in your hands at Mass that we are able to be fed. So thank you for uh, cooperating with the Lord and feeding the people. But Amen. It's a privilege. Yeah. Um, but listeners out there, hey, it's been a pleasure to have you on for this episode. Um, if you want to learn more about the Eucharistic revival, which is happening across the country right now, uh, but especially here in the Kansas City area, if you want, I don't know, maybe some resources for prayer, for some formation, for some preaching, if you're a priest or deacon out there, yeah, we've got preaching resources for you too. Go on over to archkck.org revival, and you can have access to that whole library of goodies for you there. Um, if this podcast has blessed you, uh, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends and family. Um, if you're a big Facebook guy or gal, share it on Facebook. If you're big into the uh, Insta life, throw it on your story. Send some emails. Get some postcards out there. I don't Even know. <laughs> super old school. Talk about it. You could just use your voice and talk <laughs> about be like, it. Guys, did you, did you check this out? Yeah. Do yes. that. Oh, yeah. And just a final encouragement to, to crack open this document with us. Okay, because we want this to not just be spitting facts and, and thoughts at you. We, want, we really want to walk with you yeah. through um, the capital T tradition of 
our church because if you break it up piece by piece, it's actually pretty approachable and manageable. So we want to invite you in and, and go on that journey together. Uh, but as we wrap out this episode today, Father Anthony, would you be so kind as to uh, end us with a blessing? My pleasure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Lord Jesus Christ, in every moment you give yourself fully to us, for us. Help us to, to locate in our hearts any areas of, of selfishness, of being closed to your profound and perfect and persistent generosity. Take whatever degree of openness and, and gratitude we have and faith we have and grow it so that we can be more fully your sons and daughters and serve you and glorify you in all that we do. Give us the intercession of your angels and saints, especially your incredible mother, the Virgin Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord, Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Cool. Guys, this has been New Mana. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.